All right, good morning, church. We're going to study God's Word. I hope you got a Bible with you. Open it up to the book of Psalms, chapter 19, as we continue our uh, series called Brand New. Almost said brand new series, but we're three weeks in, so uh, can't call it that anymore. Anyway, that joke didn't really work. Dad joke. Uh, Psalm 19, follow along. I'm going to start reading in verse 7. The instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. The precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. The command of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are reliable and altogether righteous. They are more desirable than gold, than an abundance of pure gold, and sweeter than honey dripping from a honeycomb. In addition, your servant is warned by them, and in keeping them there is abundant reward. Who perceives his unintentional sins? Cleanse me from my hidden faults. Moreover, keep your servant from willful sins. Do not let them rule me. Then I will be blameless and cleansed from blatant rebellion. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. There is nothing like the word of God. There's just nothing like the word of God and Even if you locate places in the Bible that the Bible talks about itself or the Bible talks about the word, you you read the longest chapter in the book of Psalms and it's Psalm 119 and basically it's just the psalmist under divine inspiration goes and sits somewhere and just starts writing down, what does the word of God do in my life? And 176, I think, verses later on, he puts the pen down and just says, the word is an amazing thing. The word of God brings change. And Martin Luther, the great Protestant reformer from the 16th century, he said this, I love these words, he said, the Bible is alive. It speaks to me. It has feet. It runs after me. It has hands. It lays hold on me. I wonder if you've ever felt that before, if you've ever felt God's word chasing you down. There you are on just some unsuspecting morning. It's a Tuesday morning. Your Bible's open on your lap and God's word is running after you. God's hands reach up out of the pages of scripture and pull you into change or pull you into hope, pull you into conviction, pull you into transformation. His word is alive. It has feet, it runs, it has hands, it reaches. It it does awesome things in our life. Life, There was a, a series that we did a few years ago in 2018 called Life Verses. And we asked you as a church to help contribute. What are some life verses that have impacted your life? And I still have that spreadsheet of just multiple people in our church who said this single verse God used to change the whole trajectory of my life. It was just awesome to look, I looked at it again this morning, to just look at Romans 12 and Romans 8 and Psalm 3, Psalm 1, and Isaiah 26, and Isaiah 40, and these passages all over the Bible were just a single verse, and God's hands reached up and pulled you into newness and pulled you into change. You think about some of the most precious verses for believers running all the way through the generations. Psalm 119.11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin 
against you. Hebrews 13, five, he, the Lord himself has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. It's powerful. Isaiah 40, 29, even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall, but they that wait upon the Lord shall what? Renew their strength. Isaiah 40, verse eight, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. In Psalm 119, 105, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I memorized that one with the help of 1984 Amy Grant song, Michael W. Smith, and they released that song, and I would just go right on a like 32-key Casio keyboard, and I would turn that thing on, put my Walkman on, put the tape in, and I would just play that, thy word is a lamp unto my feet, and it was just going into my mind, into my, into my heart. I had no idea how much I was going to need that word to be a lamp to my feet in dark moments. When I was nine years old, I had no idea. You're gonna need this verse, Matt. You're gonna need this truth. You're gonna need God's word to be a lamp and a light. There's no way to talk about being brand new, that's what this series is, without looking at what scripture has to say about itself. So this passage presents God's word as a change agent in our lives that does essentially two things. The first is this, God's word satisfies our deepest need. God's word satisfies our deepest need. So there is, in your Bible, leave it open because we're gonna look at it, right? So there's purposeful structure in this poem that David has written. In verses seven to nine, there are six lines with five words each. In the original language, it's six lines of five words each, and it's a formula. Six lines, five words, and each of those five words, it's three and two. It's a pattern of three and two. Three words describing what God's word is, followed by two words in Hebrew describing what God's word does. And even though we don't have that, it doesn't lay out that nicely in our English translation, you can still see the patterns, right? Just look down in your text. What God's word is, the instruction of the Lord is perfect. What does it do? Renewing one's life. Next, what it is, the testimony of the Lord is trustworthy. What does it do? Making the inexperienced wise. And you go through our entire, these, these three verses, seven, eight, and nine, and it's got that pattern. Six lines, five words, three, two. That way we don't miss the point that the word of God changes us. How does the word of God changes and we're going to walk through this one at a time number one it turns us homeward the word of God turns us homeward look at verse seven the instruction of the Lord is perfect renewing one's life so let's just look at that language that's used there the instruction of the Lord is perfect the word perfect there it means integrity it means unscathed it means inviolable, it means blameless. You, in other words, you can have confidence in what God's word teaches. It has integrity, it's reliable, you can lean on it, you can trust in it. And then he goes on to say the word of the Lord, the instruction of the Lord is perfect, and what does it do? It renews one's life, renewing, that word renewing, it's a word that means to turn back. It's used all over the Old Testament. It's a common, ordinary word in the Old Testament. For example, one, one location where it's found is when Noah, and they're on the ark, 
and they're trying to find out, is there dry land that we can dock somewhere? Can we get out of this boat soon? He knew that the waters were receding, but didn't know if there was enough dry land. And so he sends out a dove and the dove goes out from the ark in search of dry land. And then the text goes on to say, but the dove found no resting place for its foot and it returned to him in the ark. And that word returned is the exact same word that's used here on renewing one's life. Returning brings you back to the place that you had left. When we had strayed from God, his word turns us back. It, it, it converts, it restores the soul is another translation that sometimes we find. I've told you this story in a number of different ways, but my faith in high school uh, was all over the place. I, um, I, I loved God some days, and other days I lived like I just completely forgot that he was there. And then after a period of days when I lived as if I completely forgot he was there, there would be a sense of conviction in my soul. And there was just this ongoing struggle throughout my college years. Am I a believer? Am I not a believer? Am I just playing games? Or is there something in the core of my heart that actually genuinely desires God? I knew God was better than the things I so often replaced him with in high school. And then I graduated from high school and I was gonna go to college in Dallas and I hopped in my Nissan Sentra and I'm driving up I-49 on my way to Dallas and somewhere on I-49 I realized I need to start again. And I, I determined, there was, there was a resolve to start over and I, I got to my dorm room in the GLT building there in Oak Cliff and, uh, and I set up and I opened my Bible and I started reading. And every day I would read God's word. And you know what it started doing? Turning me back. It started turning me in God's, it was bringing me home. The word of God turns us back to him. Second, it makes us perceptive. It makes us perceptive. Look at the, the next verse. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. Another translation that's, it's gotten a lot of traction in history is making wise the simple. And the word simple there in that translation doesn't have anything to do with one's level of education. They're simple because they're listening to the wrong voices. They're simple because they're misinformed. They're simple because they have false beliefs that are leading to destructive practices. In the book of Proverbs, for example, there are two voices sort of walking through the streets. There's the voice of Lady Wisdom and there's the voice of Lady Folly. And they're walking, as it were, through the streets and they're calling out to who? To the simple. Both of them are calling to the same audience. They're calling out to the simple and Lady Folly is offering to the simple temporary pleasure that will lead to destruction. She's not announcing the destruction, she's announcing the pleasure. That's Lady Folly, but Lady Wisdom is walking through those same streets in the book of Proverbs and she's offering instruction that leads to life and joy and peace. You know, there, there can be a, a vicious cycle. I've seen it play out a, a thousand times. Particularly, I saw a lot of it when I was a college minister for 12 years. And I would see a lot of students who would come out of high school and now they've got these newfound freedoms and they're gonna try them out. 
and they would just walk right into pain and pain and more and more pain. And there could be this vicious cycle of the enemy that, that would be kind of like this, four words, instruction, rejection, pain, and blame. So here's how it played out. God's word gives wise instruction. We reject that wise instruction and go our own way. Painful consequences follow, and then we blame God for the pain. And it becomes this vicious cycle. It just goes further and further down. God's instruction is there. We reject his instruction. Pain comes into our lives. We blame him for what just happened. And then the instruction is still there. We reject the instruction. More pain, louder blame, and down and down we go. And what the psalmist is saying here is there's a way to break the cycle. The word of God can break the cycle. Humble believers opening his word, letting it pour into our minds so that the simple aren't simple. We're not foolish anymore. We're learning his wisdom. Who knows better how the world works than the one who created the world? God speaks to us. He's wiser than you are. He's wiser than your friends are, than the collection of all the people in your life. He is wiser. He is better. He loves you. God's word breaks the cycle. It makes wise the simple third. It lights our eyes. You ever seen God light someone up? You ever seen God light up the countenance of a person where you almost couldn't recognize who they were before because there's a radiance in their face, in the movie uh, The Chosen, I think it's the first episode that features the story of Mary Magdalene and she is presented in that first episode as a person who just lives in a shroud of darkness. Darkness is in her, darkness is around her, darkness is on her. You can just see it in her face and in her countenance. And Jesus just moves toward her with grace and he calls her by her name and he silences her accuser. And what happens? This verse happens. The Lord's words are radiant, making the eyes light up. You know, it had been prophesied about Jesus long before he arrived and was born in Bethlehem that when the Messiah comes, his ministry would have this effect of giving garments of praise in exchange for spirits of heaviness. Heavy laden people, their burdens would be lifted by this Messiah. And what does Jesus say in Matthew eleven twenty eight? Come to me, everyone who's weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Learn from me, I'm meek and lowly of heart. You'll find rest for your souls. It lights our eyes. At the same time, it fosters reverence. Fosters reverence. So notice how this psalmist keeps changing the term for God's word. You see it there? The instruction of the Lord, the testimony of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord, the command of the Lord. They're all synonyms for scripture, but every time he's just turning the diamond a little bit. He's choosing a slightly different word with a slightly different nuance. When you read Psalm 119, that's happening constantly. In every stanza of Psalm 119, you're getting a change out of eight different words, decrees, ordinances, testimonies, commands, rules or instructions, over and over. That, David is doing the same thing here in Psalm 19, but notice what he calls the Bible in verse nine. He doesn't say the instruction of the Lord. He doesn't say the testimony, the precepts, or the command. He calls scripture the fear of the Lord. It's the same pattern 
same formula, but now he's calling scripture the fear of the Lord. Scholars call this literary device a metonymy of effect. It's, so that's a $3 word. Let's just unpack it for a second. It's when you name something by the effect that it produces. You name it by the effect that it produces. So for example, a guy comes to an office meeting and they say, Eeyore has arrived. They're not, they're not naming him they're naming the effect that he brings into the meeting. <laughs> That's what happened. When he comes in, he comes in with a cloud, right? They're naming him by the effect that he brings. When a new pitcher takes the mound and the announcer says, here comes the strikeout king. They're not naming him. They're saying, here's what he does. Every time he takes the mound, he strikes people out. And here, David is saying, instead of saying, believer, open a copy of the word of the Lord, David says, as it were, open a copy of the fear of the Lord. He names the scriptures by the effect that it has on its readers. Is the word of God having that effect? Is it producing in your life reverence for God? A sense of his awesome majesty, his glory, the heft that he has, the weight of his glory. Is it producing the fear of the Lord, which the psalmist would say in other places, Proverbs, the Old Testament wisdom is that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You want to start learning wisdom, it begins here. Wisdom 101 is the fear of the Lord. You got yourself a whole book. David says, you could call it the fear of the Lord because every time you sit under it, you are learning to worship. You're learning how great God is, the God behind the text who speaks through the text of the God-breathed word. The fear of the Lord, you see it? What is it? It's pure. That's a word that means ethically blameless. The word of God creates change. Not instantaneous. It's not zap and instantly all your sins, you're never gonna struggle with sin again. But it's, it's, a, it's a sanctifying thing. Jesus would pray this in John 17. Lord, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Your word cleanses. Your word changes. Your word moves the needle in our lives. It is ethically blameless and it has that effect on our souls as we sit under it. Friend, bear in mind, Jesus did not intend to rescue a people from the penalty of sin, only to leave them under the power of sin. He's not leaving us there. You can have confidence that obeying God is not gonna lead you to a life of regret. His word is good, his word is righteous, his word is blameless. Look, here's, here's the reality. We've all got regrets that we live with, all of us. But there is a purity that comes to the soul through the word of God. There is a purity we know in the fullness of time as we look at the New Testament and pages of scripture and how it unfolds the story of the gospel centering on the person and work of Jesus. There is a purity in Christ that can cover every stain. The grace of God in Jesus promises that we can be completely cleansed once and for all, and that's where we go next. It fosters reverence and it offers stability. You see that description, the fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. 
there is a security, there is a stability of life that is founded on God's word. That's what Jesus would say, right, to his disciples. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them, you'll be like a house that's built, that's solid. And when storms come, it won't knock the house down because the house is founded on a rock, the rock of his words. Hey, here's what I love about this whole text is God's word is described essentially as rubbing off on us. There is an effect of God's word in our lives. You think about this. If you had six close friends that you ran with all summer and y'all spent tons and tons of time hanging out all summer long, those six friends are gonna leave a mark, right? You're gonna do that thing that she does when you talk, that thing she does with her arm, you're gonna find yourself doing that thing with your arm, right? People leave a mark on us. If we hang around with them long enough, close friends will leave a mark on us. And David is personifying scripture and he says, you know what scripture is? It's six things. So six friends, think about this. David says, the word of God is six things. It's integrity, reliability, uprightness, cleanness, purity, and truth. So you hang out with the Bible and guess what starts happening in your life? No surprise here, integrity, reliability, uprightness, cleanness, purity, and truth. The word changes us, doesn't leave us like we were before. It changes us. I love what John Goldingay says in his commentary about this. These descriptions need to be seen as pregnant expressions. They affirm that the effects of God's instructions are whole, reliable, upright, clean, pure, and true. They produce people and lives of that kind. This is the kind, this is what the word of God is and you get around it and you get under it and you start becoming like it. God's word satisfies our deepest needs. Second, God's word points to our ultimate help. So David talks here toward the end in verse 11 and following, particularly in verse 12 and 13. He talks about three kinds of sins. You see it, unintentional sins, hidden faults, and willful sins. Verse 12, who perceives his unintentional sins? Cleanse me from hidden faults and keep me from willful sins. So there's something that we need to see that we can't see without the word because who can perceive it? There's a cleansing that we need from hidden faults and there's a keeping of God's grace that we need from willful sins. This is realistic, right? This lays right over your ordinary life, my ordinary life as believers. In other words, just because we're church folks doesn't mean we don't have built-in resistances to God's word. Willful sin is not just an Old Testament thing. I got it in my life. I could talk about it this week. Built-in resistances to God's word. So, so what does David saying, he's saying, I don't even know how to find all the messed up places in my life. Who can find all the unintentional sins, all the hidden faults in their soul? So what does David do? He says, here's what I'm gonna do. In light of this ignorance that I have, he says, Lord, verse 11, warn me. It's a grace from God to warn us of destructive patterns in our lives. He says, warn me, cleanse me, verse 12, keep me, verse 13, Then, verse 13, I will be blameless. 
What is the ground of blamelessness in Psalm 19? It is not performance, it is divine cleansing. We see our sin. How, how do we know when we're going astray? Hebrews 4.12, I work with someone on our staff. Hebrews 4.12 is her personal license plate. Apparently that's her life verse. What does that verse say? It says, God's word is alive. It is, it is quick, it is active, it is. It discerns the thoughts and intents of our hearts. It divides like a surgical scalpel. It divides between bone and marrow and soul and spirit and it shows you what's going on in the interior of your life so that those places can change, so that it can heal. It doesn't expose and leave it there. It exposes so it can heal. David wants deep cleansing. He wants, verse 12, verse 14 rather, he wants a new mouth, he wants a new mind, he wants a new heart. May the words of my mouth, may the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Bear in mind this Lord, we know who this Lord is. This Lord is none other than Jesus. The central statement of faith in the New Testament is what? Three words, Jesus is Lord. It was the final testimony of most of the martyrs. They were told, deny your faith. Say, Kaiser Kurios. Say, Caesar is Lord. And they would say, Yesu ha Kurios. Jesus is Lord. And here come the dogs released into the arena, their last words, Jesus is Lord. Not only is Jesus the Lord of Psalm 19, the Apostle Paul calls Jesus the rock. When he writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the Apostle Paul calls Jesus our Redeemer. When he writes in Galatians chapter four, he is the Lord, he is our rock, he is our Redeemer. In light of God's word, we see our sin but we don't save ourselves. We see our sin, but we don't save ourselves. The mirror isn't gonna change you. Introspection isn't going to change you. Jesus changes you. The Lord changes you. The word of his grace, the word of his promise changes us. Psalm 19's rock and redeemer in the fullness of time is the very one who comes to earth as the God man, who lives a perfect life, who dies on the cross absorbing the penalty of our sin against us and rises again from the grave. And he offers new life to all who repent and believe. And that's where brand new starts happening. Tom Hanks starred in a movie back in 2013 called Captain Phillips and his ship is hijacked by pirates and a deeply traumatic experience for him in a number of different ways. He ends up being rescued at the end through some ordeal. And I'm gonna read an exchange in a moment, but I think that this exchange at the very end of the movie, it illustrates this reality that right after Captain Phillips is, is rescued, he, he is brought into this, this medic place on, on board and the corpsman comes up and introduces herself and she just starts to patch him up and ask questions and she's gently probing, finding out, where's the pain? Hey, lift your arm, Let, let's see. And she's just checking his vital signs and, and his oxygen levels and, and all these things. She's just gently walking him through this process and he, the whole time, he can barely breathe. He barely speaks 
an intelligible word. He cannot form sentences. He's been so traumatized by this event. And I thought about that last night because I think there are seasons of life where we come to God's word greatly shaken. And she asks him this question. She says, can you tell me what's going on? And he says, I'm okay. And she says, are you okay? Because you don't look okay. And she finds the bruises and she asks him to lift his arm. And the whole time as he's struggling emotionally, she's saying, I want you to breathe. She tells him, I want you to do this. I want you to look at me. I want you to breathe. I got you. She lays him back on the table while she's saying, you are safe. Listen, here's what brand new has to do with God's word. There will be days when you won't know all that's broken and you'll wanna say to God, I need to be clean, but I don't even know where you should begin. I can't even form an intelligent sentence about where this got out of hand in my life. The Apostle Paul, he has this beautiful, one of the tenderest images of Jesus, I think, in the entire Bible. And it's of Jesus as a husband, And what does he do for his wife? She's been beaten by the world and hounded by Satan, the roaring lion who sought to devour her, ducking flaming arrows. And she comes into the medic and Paul says, Jesus, the the groom, washes his bride with the water of his word. He's cleansing his bride people of God are hounded in this world by an enemy and then Psalm 19 David says come into the presence of God where God's word speaks and washes and cleanses and where God tenderly says to his people breathe you're safe now I've got you I'll find everything that's broken and I'll make it whole I think the reality is sometimes we feel so burdensome to God that we can't come to him for mercy anymore. I love this quote from Dane Ortland. He writes, when you come to Christ for mercy and love and help in your anguish and perplexity and sinfulness, you are going with the flow of his own deepest wishes, not against them. We tend to think that when we approach Jesus for help and our need and mercy amid our sins, we somehow lessen him. Christ's heart is not drained by our coming to him. Our unbelieving hearts tread cautiously here. Is it not presumptuous audacity to draw on the mercy of Christ in an unfiltered way? Shouldn't we be measured and reasonable, careful not to pull too much on him? Would a father with a suffocating child want his child to draw on the oxygen tank in a measured, reasonable way? Friend, are you weary this morning? Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. Are you tempted by the passing fads and false hopes of this world? The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Are you wondering if God is gonna quit on you the way you're tempted to quit on you? He himself has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Are you struggling to hold fast to the truth? Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light 
to my path. Friends, we have a rock. We have a redeemer. Go to the rock. Go to the redeemer. Run to the redeemer. This week, open his word. Read the psalm of the day. If you can read no more, read the psalm of the day. Pray for light and let it do that thing it does. Let it renew your life. Let it deepen your rejoicing. Let it enlighten your eyes. Let it warn you. Let it invite you into a new obedience. Let it secure your soul when you are shaken. Let it continue your brand new by the grace of God.